coming to a starting in Isaiah 42. So if you want to turn to Isaiah 42, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to open your eternal word. Look into it and find truths that you have for us that gives us the hope and the victory we look for in our walk with you. Father, we're not interested in what the world's got to say about it. We're not interested in what the news media has to say about it. We want to come straight from heaven. Anoint us this hour that all things would work to your glory and honor, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Isaiah 42 and 1, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break. A smoke and flax he will not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he hath set forth judgment in the earth and the isles that shall wait for his laws. I also would like to read that, and I guess I'm in charge, so I get to, uh, out of the everyday. Verse uh, 1 through 4 in the everyday. Now you can follow in your Bibles or you can watch the board or whatever, but uh, this is what the everyday says of that same four verses. Here is my servant, the one I support. He is the one I choose, and I am pleased with him. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to all nations. He will not cry out or yell or speak loudly in the streets. He will not break a crushed blade of grass or put out even a weak flame. He will truly bring justice. He will, not lose, he will not lose hope or give up until he brings judgment to the world. And the people far away will trust his teachings. Now this is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, um, actually I've even heard some Theologians, I guess I'll use that term, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt rather than call them preachers or ministers or pastors or whatever. Heard them talk about Isaiah as being the Old Testament gospel. A lot of the sayings in the book of Isaiah float right over into Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. Um, where did we hear about uh, a virgin shall have a child? Huh? Yes, where did we see his government shall be upon his shoulders? Where did we read about the one that's going to prepare his ways? The forerunner of Christ, meaning John the Baptist. All of that is in the book of Isaiah. It's just packed full of prophecies of the coming Messiah, if you would, in their day and times what they were looking at. But in our day and time, we can look back and see how God dealt with those people to introduce Jesus Christ in their forward thinking, while in our rearward thinking, we look back to what Jesus Christ did for us. So here we have Jesus Christ. He's introducing him, letting him know that there's going to be an earthly ministry that he's going to bring to fruition through Jesus Christ. Verse 1 starts out in the King James as, Behold. When you hear someone say, Behold, we don't hear that very often, or um, he says, stop and consider. A lot of things we 
look, think of when we see that. When it's a behold, it means look. Take a good look at it. Notice it. Check it out. Something special is about to happen. Isaiah is telling the people of his generation, God's still in control. And God gave us this prophecy because he doesn't want us to get faint-hearted. If you look around, and I swear to you, am I allowed to swear to him? Huh? No, I ain't allowed to swear? Well, I promise you, in Isaiah's day, there were people that were discouraged. I just can, I can guarantee it. What did they need? They needed a hope that brings victory. Amen? Well, how's that hope that brings victory going to happen? If it does happen, it's going to happen through the Messiah that he promised, named Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, it's going to be into the future, and in Isaiah's day, it's going to be quite a while into the future, but it's a coming, and he's going to bring it forth because he says, my servant, behold my servant. Who is God's servant? Hmm. Well, we are all under servants, I guess, and we're all shepherds, but there's a chief shepherd. And there is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know who that is. That's Jesus Christ. He's the servant. You know what he does? He works for God. Huh, how about that stuff? You think of you on your job. You don't think of yourself as a slave or a servant, but you really are. Huh. Oh, yes, you are. That's why you sweat so hard, and that's why you show up every day. Uh-huh, you're a servant. Yeah. Uh, but he's here, and he's going to be doing God's work is what Isaiah says. He goes on to say, he's mine elect. In other words, God selected him. It's God's choice for him to be the one that's going to do the earthly work that needs to be done to get his people on track with him. He's the one that has been chosen for this very important mission that Jesus Christ is going to carry out. And then he says, in whom my soul delighteth. Amen. He's excited and happy about what's going to take place and he's happy that he picked the right person for the right job at the right time and it's all going to fall together and everything's going to work out great. Right? That's what I believe he's saying. He says um, in the scripture, I know Rob referred to one place in the New Testament when God said about Jesus Christ uh, that um, he was satisfied with what he was doing there. And it says here in my soul delight, it means in whom I am well pleased. Now think about that statement, in whom I'm well pleased, and think about what Rob said about it. What did he say? It? He was talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. Amen. And what did Peter say? Oh, man, let's build three temples here. Right? One for Moses, one for Elias, and on and on and on. And God spoke out of the cloud and said, This is my well-beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When Jesus went to be baptized of John the Baptist, he uh, said there, um, when he was put down and came up and a dove came out and light on him and a voice came out of heaven, what did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, he knew he had made the right choice in allowing Jesus to be 
if you would, incarnate, fleshly, and walk among men. And he says, he went on to say in that verse, I have put my spirit on him. Well, the Holy Spirit and Christ can't even be separated. Huh, they're part of the Trinity. They're all together all the time anyhow. But he says, I'll put my spirit on him. And to whom God does give his spirit, uh, that's somebody that God has chosen to do something special for him. Those that choose to walk in God's will in sanctification and righteousness are those that God has chosen to put his spirit upon. Amen? Now, there are some... Uh, requirements or some steps or some other ways you want to look at it, uh, that's you and me. Amen? We can have certainly uh, that kind of relationship with God and we know that Jesus met that criteria in God in what, in what Isaiah was saying about Jesus to come. You see, to have the Spirit of God applied to your life is the ultimate goal of a Christian. Amen? It's the ultimate power, it's the ultimate strength, and it's actually the ultimate hope and the ultimate victory that God wants us to have. Amen? For God to say, I'm well pleased with you, me, Jesus, anybody, is the highest form of flattery you'll ever get. Now, he, he doesn't pat you on the back. He doesn't run up your flag up a flagpole somewhere. You know what God does? He'll just bless you. Amen? And most of the time you get those blessings in the worst of times when things are so bad around you, you're just hoping, I hope I can get through this. And that's when God says, well, nothing to it. Hold my hand. Here we go. Amen? That's the way God likes to work in some cases. Amen. So when he gave uh, his approval to, to Jesus at his baptism, at his transfiguration, he went on to give him his approval in another area. You know what it was? His resurrection and ascension. How about that? You know, how many other prophets were killed, buried, came alive again, and ascended back to heaven? There you go. Only the one that God put his stamp of approval on to do the work he wanted them to do. Amen. And then he goes on to say, He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. In biblical times, we're talking Old Testament and right on up through the early parts of the New Testament times, basically all you had was Jews, Gentiles. It was one or the other. There was no middle ground. There was no, they did away with all that. Amen? So in those times and even in Jesus' ministry, it was either Jew or Gentile and everybody was one or the other. One thing, it's one thing for us to love God and to want to serve him and then to keep, God wants us to keep things kind of simple sometimes and you are still today in one group of people or the other. Now, you may not be a Jew physically, but according to Romans, you're a Jew, Romans 2, you can be a Jew spiritually, Amen. And then you're not necessarily a Gentile, if you want to think of it that way, in the flesh now. But if you're out of step with God, God's word would consider you a Gentile. Now God was interested when he called Paul into the ministry, when he drove him to his knees on the way to Damascus and blinded him. He said, I want you to be a special vessel to me 
to the Gentiles. God had a plan even for the Gentiles. He didn't even want them to be lost, and he did still want the Jews to be saved. When Jesus came, he told the disciples, when he sent them out, he said, don't take any extra blankets or coats or hats or nothing. Just go, and who did he tell them to preach to? The lost house um, of Israel. He said, go to the Jews. Don't even preach to the Gentiles. They won't understand it. Just go preach to the Jews. And he said, we'll get to the Gentiles later. He didn't say that, but that was implied. And God did make it uh, where the Gentiles got involved in what going on. So uh, one thing I like about God is he keeps everything simple. You, in that day and time, it was either Jew or, sin, uh, or Gentile. Today, you're either saved or a sinner. There's no middle ground. Amen. You either are or you aren't. Amen. You either have the Spirit of God or you don't. Amen. You're either righteous or unrighteous. You're either obedient or disobedient. There's no middle ground. Amen. I know a lot of people think they want to get to the dividing line between heaven and hell and get as close as they can so they can get as much of the world as they can have and as much of God as they can have. No, a real child of God wants to be as far from that dividing line as they can get. Amen. We need to separate ourselves from uh, that dividing line and we need to make sure that we're either going to go one way or the other in the end and it's either heaven or hell. That's how simple God has made it. We make it uh, confusing and, and we got all the different, well, it sounds to me like a bunch of Pharisees fighting over the Sabbath day. Oh, what you can or can't do. They had more laws and rituals and excuses and, and exceptions to the Sabbath day in Jesus' day and time than they did things you should do for God. That's a shame. Amen. But all of us, based on our choices in this life, you're going to have to either choose to obey the will of God or suffer the consequences. Verse 2, Jesus wasn't a complainer. Amen. He wasn't a whiner. He wasn't jealous of what somebody else had or envious of anyone else. Even when he realized and acknowledged his certain death, the scripture says he was like a sheep going to slaughter that never said a bah or a word. He had nothing to say about it. He knew he was in the middle of God's will. Amen. Scripture says he opened not his mouth. Even when Pilate told him, do you see these accusations they're telling on you? They're accusing you of all this garbage. I don't know anybody that could even accomplish all the stuff they're blaming on you. So I know it ain't true, but you're going to have to stand up and tell me it's not true, or I'm going to have to hand you over to them, and they're going to crucify you. You know what he said? He opened not his mouth. Amen. Verse 3, he says a bruised reed. Amen. Now, here in, that's what it says in King James, in the everyday, it says a crushed piece of grass. Now, I don't know about you, but I got an awful lot of blades of grass in my yard. And about every week or so, I got to go out and try to trim them, bruise them, cut them, do something with them so they don't take over the place. Amen? But that's, that's just kind of an example of the things that Jesus is trying to, to bring when he talks here. He says, not even a crushed blade of grass will break under the dictates of Jesus when he comes 
as the Messiah. Amen? Do you know what the Bible says we are all made of? Yeah. Dirt. We're made of dirt. Amen. You know what the Bible says we're all like? 1 Peter 1.24. We're all like grass. What does a dirt produce? Yeah. Weeds, grass, whatever you want to call it, trees, anything that will grow in dirt, that's what basically the Word of God says we are in the eyes of God. So when God created us uh, with the ingredients he used, dirt, dust, water, that describes what we are in the flesh. Amen? But God breathed life into the nostrils in Genesis, into uh, the living and the Adam and Eve became living souls there. Of course, the word Genesis just means the beginning, so that's what he was talking about there. But in the natural world, all that grows from dirt, it's basically weeds or grass or even reeds. We don't see much of reeds anymore. How many of you have? It used to be down along the creek bank, we'd see what I always called them pussy willows. You know what I'm talking about, the cattails? And those are what we called reeds. And boy, if you break that head of that off, that fuzzy part, throw it away, and snap that other off, man, it made a great whip. Man, we could smack each other with them, raise welts up. Man, we had a great time, man. Right? Well, that's a tough piece of grass. But then I think of the little Kentucky bluegrass that gets smashed every time I walk across my yard, and yet it's resilient enough to come back for more. Amen? So we have all these things that are going on, and the Word of God says uh, we all are just one kind of grass. One looks a little different than the other. We all produce a flower, it says, because the flower's going to fade and go away. Uh, but that's what it is. See, um, you see, saints, you need to grow where God plants you. Amen? And we need to bloom where we're planted for the glory of God. That's what Jesus did. Amen? And when describing the work, working of Christ, he doesn't put you down because the devil in the world has crushed you. Most of us weren't even aware of a man named Jesus and what he had done for us until after the world had destroyed us pretty much, crushed us, beat us up, stomped us down, tore our flower off, our bloom, and then God came along and extends grace and mercy and allows us to grow and bloom to the glory of God. The same is true of the smoking flax. Now what he's talking about is smoking flax. If you guys have a wood burning fireplace or you have a outdoor ring of fire in your backyard or whatever to burn yard trash or limbs or even a campfire for s'mores, whatever you have, you'll notice that that fire, man, it can, you can fire it up and then it get hot as long as there's plenty of fuel there. But with time, that fire engulfs everything you put on it and it burns down to where it's just what you might call an ash or a cinder or some kind of little bitty something. And you'll notice that they will cool off faster the farther they are from the center of the fire. 
So if you've got a log on your fireplace and an end of it burns off a little bit and rolls out to the side, it's not long, it's going to be cool off pretty much enough that you can do something with it to put it back on the fire to finish its burning process, if you would. But the scripture says, Jesus said, I'm not even going to put out a smoking flax. It may just be barely smoldering. Now, I know y'all watch Mountain Men, just like Bonnie and I. And every time those guys in Alaska are about froze to death, I don't know where they get it, but they got a big lighter. Huh. And they take little bitty, bitty, bitty branches and break them up in a little bitty pile and they light their big lighter. Then what do they do when as soon as they see smoke? They blow on it. Amen. That's what God does on our lives. He blows on us with his spirit. And that smoke, it starts to get hotter. And starts to clean. And as soon as it bursts into flame, ah, those Alaskans are happy then because they can build a fire out of it and, and take their socks off and warm them up and they can be ready for tomorrow at 50 below zero. Right? Well, fire has a lot of good things that we can use. But Jesus will not even, when the devil's got you down to where he's almost put your fire out, Jesus isn't going to stomp on it and put it out. He's not going to throw cold water on you. What's he going to do? And bring you back, let your flame up again, and feed you what you need to be the fire he wants you to be. Amen? So many times in our lives, our fire was about to go out, and Jesus came along. Worked a miracle in our lives and caused the flame to burn bright, and our soul revived once again. Amen. I guess that's why in the scripture he called us the light of the world. If your fire is going out, you won't be effective for anybody. But if you light it up, he says, what do we do when we light a candle? Do we put it on underneath a bushel basket? Put it under a bucket? No. We put it on the candlestick and on the lampstand so that it gives light to everything around it. That's what Christians are supposed to do in the, the world that they in. And that's what Jesus did. Amen? So put it, uh, your light out for the whole world to see and they'll draw hope from that. If Jesus can light your fire, he can do it for your friends and your neighbors too. But he'll work through you. They don't know their light's about out until they see yours. They don't know their fire is almost gone. They don't know what it took to get yours flaming again until they see your flame and want to, if you would, enjoy the same thing in their lives. So when Jesus heals your bruised weed and ignites your smoking flax, then he'll put forth judgment unto truth, the scripture says. And every day says, unto judgment. Amen? So now look at verse number four again. And he shall not fail nor discourage till he has set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for the law. Jesus won't quit. He won't give up on anyone. No matter how battered you are by the devil in the world, he still has hope for your soul. Amen. He wants to bring forth judgment unto truth. Amen. Can I tell you something? Without truth, there is no judgment. 
Hmm, did you know that? Wow. You know, without the law, there's no lawbreakers. Huh. If I knew you had $100 bills stacked up about six feet high on your kitchen table at home, amen, and I knew you wasn't home even though the door was locked, that probably wouldn't uh, hinder too many people from going in there and helping themselves. Amen. Why? That's stealing. That's against the law. Not if nobody does anything about it. Right? That's the way our world looks at it. I help yourself. No, that's not, it's still not right. But what makes it right is truth. You know, one of the things that always rings true in my mind is the golden rule. I do unto others as I'd want them to do unto me. Amen. Now, I know I got stacks of hundreds in my house too. And if you want to go break in and steal them, I guess you can. If you can find them, I, they're invisible. <laughs> but what's it mean? The law means nothing unless there's a, some way of enforcing it and punishing for, break, for breaking the law. Amen. We would not be right, we would not know right from wrong without the judgment of the truth. And therefore, we never would attain the victory God has in store for us through his grace and mercy if we didn't know about the truth he has for us. Amen. Now that's Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. That's a pretty good introduction. Another two hours, we'll get to the message. All right, Matthew 12. I thought I had it marked here, but I guess I didn't. Matthew, the 12th chapter. This, this chapter, I kind of lo love this chapter, but, and I'm going to tell you that there's a lot of text to it, but I'm going to get into verse 14 to 21 of this particular chapter. But I always like for you to know the text behind it. In the first verse of this chapter, Jesus and his disciples had a long walk that morning, and they hadn't had breakfast yet, and they was kind of hungry. So they walked by this cornfield. Man, wouldn't that be neat to have a cornfield everywhere you wanted to walk? And they were so hungry, says they reached out and snatched a couple ears of corn off, shelled them out in their hands, popped them in their mouth, and enjoyed the corn that they shelled off of those cobs. But there's a problem. It was the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees saw what they did. They didn't care about them stealing the corn. You know, in the Old Testament, the people that planted fields were supposed to leave the outer rows of the, those fields for the homeless or the wayfaring people, the people traveling through the country. They were supposed to leave the outside rows of those fields for those people that they could help themselves as they traveled through. That was pretty nice, huh? That's kind of like, uh, what do you get, a continental breakfast at Holiday Inn. Amen? So as you're traveling, you get up, and you get that continental breakfast, you snatch up a ear of corn, and away you go. Right? Well, uh, that's kind of what this uh, principle behind this might be, if you want to look at that. But here we find the disciples, I'm sorry, the, the Pharisees, seeing the disciples do this, they were ready to pounce. 
They let them have. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. I told you, the Pharisees had more rules, regulations, all kinds of tradition, everything attached to Sabbath day, except live right. So, they, here we go. And Jesus justifies it, if you would, if you read down through there. Uh, and he uses David as an example. Don't you remember when David was hungry and he went to the temple and ate the showbread? That was only for the priest. He wasn't supposed to eat that. But nobody said anything to him because the man was going to starve to death without it. Amen. Would you rather him starve to death or break the Sabbath? Hmm, let me think about that for a minute. Hmm, okay. We'll let him get by this time. Right? And then he reminds him of the priests that did work in the temple in verse number 5. And yet the scripture says they did things in the temple they weren't supposed to do. And yet the scripture says they were blameless. Hmm. Maybe he's trying to give them insight in the fact that they've put just a little bit too much emphasis on the Sabbath day and what it's really supposed to represent. Amen. Could be. I'm just going to let you know. For those of you that run into people that consider themselves Seventh-day Adventists and love that Sabbath day law, if you would, and still live by it today, that they worship on Saturday instead of Sunday, um, as pretty much tradition all over every other religion or gathering or church or anything else does, we all meet on Sunday. Well, the reason we do is because in the New Testament, they all met on the first day of the week. Hmm, that was a tradition they started. Now, the Old Testament, they met on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the high day. And the Seventh-day Adventists uh, still cling to that. So if you have somebody, you want to help them with the, the truth on that, just read verse 6 through 8 to them, and you, you'll help them out quite a bit. All right, then Jesus gets to the next part of this particular text. And what is it? He's left the synagogue, and as he did, he ran into a guy with a withered hand. I don't know exactly the definition or the description that goes with a withered hand. I don't know if it, arthritis, I don't know, I, you name it, whatever you want to call it, uh, a deformed hand, whatever. Uh, he ran into this guy. It was kind of uncomfortable for him because he had one great good working hand and the other one just didn't do its thing. And Jesus looked at him and said, huh, is it right for me to heal this guy on the Sabbath day? Now that's a question he asked him. I think it's a fair question. Now it doesn't say that they gave an answer. You want to know why? So no matter how it comes out, they couldn't be blamed for giving the wrong answer. Amen? Think about it. And so, since nobody answered, he just took the opportunity and heals a man with a withered hand. Amen? Now, once he had done it, the Pharisees again fell off the deep end. They went berserk. They went crazy. Amen? He had even asked them if it was okay to heal on the Sabbath, and they didn't answer but now that he did it, <sighs> so to justify his healing before them, he asked them. Now, I understand you may not agree with me at healing this man's withered hand on the Sabbath because of your traditions. But what about any of you? 
What if one of your sheep fell in a pit and couldn't get out and was going to die unless somebody helped that sheep out of that pit? Huh. What would you do? And even on the Sabbath, is there anybody in the audience that wouldn't take two minutes to reach down and help that sheep out of that pit? Yep, every one of you would. You'd want to save that. Well, wait a minute. You want to save the sheep's life on the Sabbath, but you don't want to heal a man's hand on the Sabbath? Which is greater, a man or sheep? Huh. Think about it. Come on, guys. Wow. So there's what the deal was, and he healed the man's hand. All right, now, that's the setting or the text of the 12th chapter of Matthew. Now in verse 14, see how the Pharisees took it. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council, huh, against him, how they might destroy him. Whoa. They weren't going to talk bad about him. They weren't even going to say anything nasty about him. They wanted to destroy him. That seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? Destroy somebody for healing a man's hand that was withered just because of the day of the week it happened on? Hmm. Isn't that just a little bit extreme? Well, the common sense approach, if you like to even think of that, of Jesus about this Sabbath day enraged the Pharisees to the point they wanted to destroy him. Can I tell you something? That destroy was in any way possible that would come along. Any way they could get their hands on him, they wanted to. And verse 15 says, but, hmm, what's that mean? That's a study word. On the other hand, Jesus knew about it. Jesus had their number, and so he just walked away. Amen. Now, Isaiah said he was going to walk away and not say a word. Just be quiet. Just go on about his business. Amen. And it's, the scripture goes on to say that many followed Jesus as he left and the scripture says that he healed them all. Again, on the Sabbath day, he healed them all. Whoa! What did he tell them to do? Don't tell nobody. Huh? Why? Because he knew it just enraged the Pharisees even more. They not only wanted to destroy him before, man, their hatred and their want to destroy him now would even be deeper. So he says, don't tell nobody you got healed. Or if you do, don't tell them what day of the week you got healed. But you know us, time and time again, Jesus told people in the New Testament, don't say nothing to nobody. What's the natural human instinct? Yeah. Amen. Well, I've learned a long time ago, if I want everybody to know something, I tell somebody, it's a secret. Don't tell nobody. Everybody knows it by the next morning. Amen. That's just the way human nature seems to work sometimes. Amen. So after all, Jesus 
uh, had silenced the, the Pharisees about the healing on the Sabbath. And then he goes on and heals them all. Verse 16 says, Jesus, knowing the hearts and spirits of his enemy, he asked them to, not to tell anybody about what that was all about. So in that, then at verse 18, I want to read down through verse 20 and listen to it as I read it and see if it rings true with what Isaiah said. And, and it says that it might be spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither, say in, sh neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break. A smoking flax shall he not quench till he sends forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Amen? Now the Gentiles didn't get trust in him until after Paul started teaching it in the New Testament, in the book of Acts and on. Amen? Remember Peter got the vision, came down a sheet from the four corners while he was asleep on the rooftop, taking a nap, waiting for dinner. That's what I like to do. I get a nap in before I eat dinner. Amen? That way I get two breakfasts that day. Amen. As soon as I wake up, I'm going to eat. All right? But now, even at that, when we get to uh, the everyday Bible on the same verse, I want to read again, 18 to 21. It said, Here is my servant whom I have chosen. I love him. And I am pleased with him. I'll put my spirit upon him. And he shall tell of my justice to all people, and he will not argue or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a crushed blade of grass or put out a weak flame until he makes justice win the victory. In him will all the non-Jewish people find hope. Hmm. How many of you are a natural Jew? How many of you can trace your ancestry all the way back to Abraham? That meant something in the Old Testament times. In our day and time, we have no, no way of tracing it all. Most of us don't have any Jewish roots in us at all, probably. Uh, we all came from, if you would, the Gentile side of the coin. But there's a, God made a way for us to do that. Amen. So, even... Uh, if Jesus would withhold the truth of these healings that he talked about, don't you think those people spread the word anyway? Don't you think if they ran into somebody else that they saw with a withered hand, they wouldn't say, hey, I know this guy you need to go see. Man, you wouldn't believe what all he can do. He'd just talk it, pray it, say it, touch it, your hands what not withered any longer. Amen. He can do that. Amen. Just a touch from Jesus. Everything's going to be okay for you. Notice that at the end of verse 16, there's a colon. That means add to this. You know what he added? Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. That's what he added to it. Amen. That's what it says in there. Now, 
If you want, you can do some other things in studying along this. Now that we've already spoke about Isaiah and read it to you, now listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to Jesus in the text that caused the Pharisees to deride him over these Sabbath day rituals. Huh. I don't hear anything from them. They even, it goes on there, they even brought somebody that was possessed of a devil. And he healed them. Huh. Man, he had a good Sunday, didn't he? Well, in their case, a good Sabbath, Saturday. He had a good day. Amen. I just want you to know, Jesus is our only hope. And he's the only path to victory. And it's only accessible to those that will walk according to God's will and to God's leading in everything they do. Amen? All right. Now, I remember a, a story, or it wasn't a story, it's a true event that happened. Forty-five years ago, we went to church, and we had a large bus ministry. I, I don't know how many at this particular time buses we were running all over. Hamilton County, Claremont County, Warren County, Butler County. We covered all the 16 buses, went out, picked up kids for Sunday school. And the pastor one time went and bought a whole box of pins. You know, you stick them on your shirt, just a round pin, and it said, Arpo. Hmm. And he gave them to everybody. Where are these? Because I'm going to preach on Arpo in three weeks. Huh. How about that? Everybody was wanting to know what Arpo. He wouldn't say a word. Nobody knew what Arpo was. But I can tell you, we went out and wore them on our, everywhere we went. On our bus ministry, at church, wherever we went, school, work, wherever everybody of that church went, they wore those ARPO buttons. And everybody, I wanted to ask, you need to come to ARPO Sunday. Hmm. Well, lo and behold, ARPO Sunday came. And he went on, got in the pulpit, preached a message just like any other message. Actually, I, I kind of think when I was sitting there waiting on him to tell us what ARPO meant, uh, I think he forgot. I don't know, but he didn't say nothing until at the end, some brave saint had the nerve to raise their hand and say, what's ARPO mean? And the house was jam-packed full of people. And he said, advertising really pays off. <laughs> they had been advertising for three weeks, our post-Sunday's coming. Nobody even knew what it was about. But the house was packed because they took time to invite somebody to our post-Sunday. Not, I can't tell you what it means, but we're going to have a big one. And man, for three weeks at church, he went on and on about our post-Sunday. And that morning, he didn't say a thing about it until somebody had the nerve to ask him. Isn't that something? Well, we got to have a spirit kind of like that. We're going to have an our post-Sunday. We're going to have a Sunday where we want you to be a part of it. You need to make or present what you get from Christ 
to anyone you meet as, man, is it going to be special. It's going to be out of this world. You're going to love our post Sunday. And none of us, and we all kind of, when he told us that, we just about fell off our seats. Didn't even know what to say. And all the people that we had brought in said, well, I guess that was clever because he filled the house. Well, I don't know what else to tell you, but you need to have that kind of desire every day of your Christian walk with God. Amen? Advertising really pays off. So let's advertise Jesus because our hope is only going to come through the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let's